complete our series this Sunday, the one that we've been in the last few weeks entitled uh, Break Through, Breaking Through. And so I want to minister our last sermon in that series today. And while you're turning, just let me mention that um, this shirt that I'm wearing today is um, a new offering that we're going to provide over the next few weeks that you'll hear about that will be for sale. It just simply says L-O-V-E, and then in the heart, it says S-L-C and Spirit Life Church. So we'd like for you to pick up some of these shirts this summer. We're going to do two or three different designs, and uh, whichever one that you like the the best, then we'd like for you to get it. And then as you're out among your, uh, your family and your friends, wear these things and let people know that that the Lord has blessed us abundantly here in our church, and we have a church to be proud of, not because of who we are, but because of who he is and what he's done in us. Shannon also has a version of it, if you'll stand up and turn around and let them see, so that you'll see it looks good on women too. (laughs) Joe Russ said today, said, both of you look good in those, but, but one looks better than the other. And I said, well, don't say anything about Shannon, you know, because that might make her feel bad. (laughs) I was only kidding. So anyway, you'll hear more information about it and some of the things that are going on. I'm excited about this summer. As you can see, we always have people who travel a little bit at this time of the year. We don't get upset about that at all. We've got people right now uh, that are on an Alaskan cruise. Can you believe that? Going up from Seattle up the coast to celebrate a 70-year-old birthday. We've got people in Florida. We've got people in Tennessee. We've got people here, there, and everywhere. But there are people, and they will eventually come back. And when they come back, then you'll leave. And then when you leave, there'll be a few more gone. And eventually, I'm going to leave too. But the good thing is, we'll all come back, amen? And we'll have a great time. So don't let the empty chairs bother you today. It's a holiday weekend. We've got a lot of people here, there, and everywhere Uh, But you're here, and that's what matters today, and we're excited to be worshiping the Lord. Now, as you know, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about this idea of breakthrough and how that, you know, there come seasons in our lives when we know that God is trying to do a work in us, but for whatever reasons, we can't seem to break through something that might be holding us back from receiving the victory. It's like this balloon that I'm holding in my hands. And what we're going to talk about today is, is that you have, to, you have to fight the right battles with the right tools. You, you, you have to fight the enemy with the right scripture, if you will. We're all the time saying, I need a word from the Lord. The word that we need is the one that is applicable to the, to the problem that we're dealing with and the thing that is kept keeping us from breaking through. So if I take this balloon, which is filled with air, and I just take my fist and I press against it, if it's a a solid balloon, then you know it's not going to burst because I'm not using the right tool. Now, if I took my fist and I hit Paul Pitts in the nose, uh, first of all, I'd turn around and start running the other direction because I, I fear that he might hit me back. Uh, But this tool is used for different things. How many of you know that? But if I take this tool and I use it to try to break through this balloon, it simply won't work because I'm not using the right tool at the right time. 
and concerning the, the, the situation that I'm facing. So today, I want us to talk about this idea of using the right tools to come against the right problems and the right situations. And we know from our reading of the book of Nehemiah, uh, we understand that, that there were certain things that he had to come up against, even though the thing that he was doing was God-ordained. It was something that God intended for him to do and complete, but listen, just because God has called you to something doesn't mean it will be easy. In fact, most of the time, it will be very difficult. But thank God, if we'll remain faithful, and if we will stay at it, then God will give us that opportunity to use the right tool against the right problem. And when we apply that right tool, it will break the dam that has been holding us back and preventing us from having victory in our lives. If I were to ask you this question today, I, would, I, I dare say that 100% in this room today would say, I want to break through to a place of victory in my life. I'm tired of dealing with this same mess time after time after time. And I am ready to break through. How many of you are ready to do that in your life? Let's pray and then let's hear from the word of the Lord today. Father, thank you for the wonderful opportunity that you've given me today to minister your word to your people. Lord, I know that you're sending it forth to do everything that you want it to accomplish and it will not fail because you are the one providing the resources. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to receive it, that we will receive it uh, with joy and excitement because it represents breakthrough in our lives. Father, we'll give you praise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes we need to identify our enemy. Sometimes we're fighting against something that we shouldn't even be fighting against. But we have become conditioned to fight in a particular way and we're not even fighting the right battle. I've discovered through the years that there are three primary things that we fight against in our lives. The first is the world. Now, how many of you know that we are in the world, but we are not of the world? Now, what that means is, is that our system of belief and our faith is not the same as the world. The world is not of God and therefore, the world cannot understand the things of God and the processes of God. But you and I can. The problem is, is that sometimes we slip away from the processes of God and the Spirit, and we get too close to the processes of the world, and we start operating the way the world thinks that we should and the way the world tells us that we should. Let me tell you, Psalm chapter 1 warns us and tells us not to, to walk with the counsel of the ungodly, but to put our delight in the law of the Lord. So it may be that part of our problem is, is that we're fighting against the world. But secondly, we fight against ourselves. How many of you have ever felt like you were fighting yourself? 
I mean, fight. I mean, there's just this thing that you just keep coming back to, and you're fighting it, and you're fighting it, and you're fighting it, and it's a weakness that you're aware of and that you know about, but you just simply have not yet found the right tool to be able to give you the breakthrough that you need to overcome that situation. We have weaknesses. My weakness may be different than your weakness. Your weakness is different than mine. We have these shortcomings, if you will, that plague us that we have to find a way to get around. And the only way that we can get around those things is through spiritual terms and in spiritual ways. You cannot fight the flesh with more flesh. You must fight your flesh by allowing the Spirit of God to rise up in you and replace what your flesh would tell you to do. So we fight the world and we fight the flesh. But not only that, we fight the devil. Now, if you don't know this, you need to understand this right now. There is a very real devil that we're fighting against. It's not just some uh, personality that we read about in the Marvel comic series. The devil is real. In fact, Scripture tells us uh, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So as we gather right here in this room, he's after some of you. He's after some someone in this house today and possibly many someones in this house today. You're wondering why you're fighting this battle and you're wondering why you're up against this circumstance and situation. I can tell you very clearly, it's either because of the world that's putting pressure on you or it's because of your own personal weaknesses that you have not gained control of yet or it's because the devil is after you and he is trying to kill you and steal from you and to destroy you. How many of you are depressed right now because of all this good news that I've shared with you this morning? Well, let me see if I can help you with that. Let me tell you that the world has no power over us. We can choose any time we want to to not succumb to the ways of the world. Our flesh has no power over us because we have the ability to gather our thoughts and gather our mind and strengthen ourselves in the power of the Lord and in the power and enablement of His Spirit. And we can overcome our flesh anytime we put our mind to do it. And the devil, he's just a mosquito on your arm. He's just a gnat buzzing around your head. He has no authority over you and no power. He cannot force you to do anything that he might suggest for you to do because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world so we have power today to overcome so where do we fight these battles well I'd like to suggest to you today that there are three battlefields and we will see these as they play out in the life of Nehemiah and in this job that he's been given to build this wall the, the first battlefield is the battlefield of false accusations. False accusations. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 19 says, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? 
Now, there are two possibilities here for us to consider. We understand the reality of what's happening. Sanballat and his team has come to Nehemiah and they are jeering at him. In other words, they are physically in the room making fun of him and hurling accusations in his face and at his team. So this is not something that he's dreamed up in his mind. It's something that is actually happening. They are making fun. They are jeering. And then they start accusing him of working against the king. So the first thing that we have to consider is, are they ignorant of the situation? It's possible that they just don't know that Nehemiah has already cleared through his boss, Artaxerxes, to go to Jerusalem and build this wall. And that Artaxerxes had written a letter of commendation to Jerusalem and to say, this man is coming with my blessing and he is going to be restoring the wall that has been uh, destroyed and torn down. So receive him. I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to give all the resources that are necessary for this to be done. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty sweet deal to me. He has the, he has the ability. He has permission. He's not like some of us. Uh, we, we, we just go ahead and do things under the idea that it's better and easier to get forgiveness than it is to get permission. Amen to that? But see, he had permission. He had already been told, go and accomplish this. Do this in the power of the Lord. And we will provide the resources that are necessary. But Sanballat and his crew, they were saying, you're rebelling against the king. You're not doing what you should be. Your actions are contrary to what the king would want. So it could have been ignorance. It could have been that they just did not know that he had already cleared it, but they were jeering and they were coming against and falsely accusing him. It could have been ignorance, but it could have also been immorality. Now, here's what I mean by that. There are people who know what the truth is, but they don't give a royal rip about what the truth is. The only thing they care about is what they want and what they're going to push for. And even though they may know the truth, although they may know the circumstance is up, uh, uh, up board and, and on board and, and should be done in this manner, because they don't want it to be that way, then they will refuse to work with the program and they will lie about it. They will guide people the wrong direction. Sounds a little bit like American politics these days, doesn't it? I'm not going to preach on politics, but it's a good example of what's going on in this great USA today. Nobody seems to care about the truth of the matter. The only thing they care about is how it's going to affect them and their political agendas. Same kind of thing going on here. But not only is it a political thing, it can be a personal thing. It may be that you've got a spouse that does not serve the Lord, a spouse that doesn't really care about you, a spouse that, spouse that is not interested in, in your best interest. All they care about is what they want. And so they are willing to push whatever agenda that they feel like they need to push in order to get what they want. Let me tell you something. We have the power to stand against false accusation. 
we can stand in our integrity and we can walk in our character and know that there will come a time when God will stand up with us and for us. So one of the battlefields is false, false accusations. One of the other battlefields is fightings and quarrels. Now I want you to notice Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 6. Nehemiah says, so we build the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and that the, breachers were, the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry, and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Now, you would think that if they came to repair the wall and the, and the wall was being repaired and rebuilt, that everyone would celebrate that. Because after all, Jerusalem was vulnerable. They needed this wall for protection. They needed it for safety. And Nehemiah shows up with his team and they begin to do what God had initiated in their hearts to do. But instead of ever being, everyone being excited about it, then there were those who got angry and wanted to fight with them. Now I want you to notice when Nehemiah chapter 4 talks about them coming and wanting to fight, they weren't necessarily talking about exchanging opinions. They weren't necessarily talking about exchanging ideas. Uh, the, the wording here suggests that they came to fight. I mean, they were ready to fight. If they had to fight with fists, they would fight with fists. If they had to draw swords, they would draw swords. If they had to shoot bows and arrows, they would shoot arrows with their bows. Whatever it took, they'd made up their mind that they're going to win this battle by fighting and quarreling against Nehemiah and his crew. Do you know anyone in your life that all they ever want to do is fight? I mean, it doesn't matter what you try to do to resolve the issue. All they want to do is fight. I'll fight you over this. I remember when I was in, in middle school, you know, it, it, men, uh, boys start feeling those men genes come up and, 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 and you know, in them and, and, and all of a sudden they want to fight. You know, they, I'll, I'll meet you out on the basketball court after and then get out there and they didn't know how to fight. I didn't know how to fight. You know, nobody knew how to fight. And so they can get out there and they just hit each other in the shoulders. They go shoulder to shoulder, like that. Then they turn around and this one would get sore and they turn around and they bust somebody with the other shoulder. And then they'd, they'd smart their mouths off a little bit. And if they were feeling real spry, they'd cuss a little bit, you know, and say, say one of those words they couldn't say at home because they'd get a good beating by their mom and dad. I know we don't do those things these days. We don't, we don't parent that way. But back in our days, my, my mom and dad said, if you ever get a beating at school, you're going to get another beating when you come home. You just might as well assume the position and drop your drawers, boy, drawers, boy because it's going to happen. That's the way I was raised. Now, none of you sissies were raised that way. No, I'm, I'm only kidding. I'm just kidding. We don't do things that way anymore. But we still have people that want to fight. 
It's not uncommon to be driving down the road and people get mad at each other and they'll get beside each other and wave at each other. And you know that special wave that I'm talking about. It's not an ordinary wave. It has a special meaning that, they, that they're trying to convey. And, and then if it gets worse than that, they'll stop at the red light and jump out and come up and bang on the window. And people want to fight and they want to quarrel, and that is exactly what was happening in this situation. Here's the truth behind that. Not everyone will appreciate your progress. Not everyone will appreciate the fact that you got born again. Not everyone's going to celebrate your new birth in Christ. Not everybody is going to celebrate you being a, a, a disciplined believer, walking in maturity and allowing the Spirit of God to sanctify you as you walk with Him. Listen, not everybody's going to be glad that you got filled with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Not everyone is going to celebrate the good things that God is doing in your life. They'll fight you over it. They'll quarrel with you about it. They'll do everything that they can to cause you to get to this place where you're ready to give up. And that's exactly the battle that Nehemiah was fighting here. And then thirdly, there's the battlefield of fatigue. Now I want you to notice Nehemiah chapter 4 verses 10 and 11. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. They're simply too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. Now, I'm, I'm going to be careful what I say here because I don't want to give everybody the idea that you ought to wake up every day of your life and just say, oh, I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted. I don't know if I can make one day. I don't know if I can make it today. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no but luck at all. Doom, despair, and agony on me. Don't you see that on Facebook almost every day of your life? Oh, God, I'm so tired. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it or not. Somebody gets on there and says, what's wrong? They want to dig down. I don't want to know. I Honestly, it's not that I don't love you and that I don't care about you. I don't want to know why you're so tired. Because I've got stories just like yours. I could come in every day and throw myself in my lazy boy recliner and kick myself back and say, I just don't know if I'm going to make it or not. And that seems to be the world that we live in. Everyone's tired and everyone is fatigued. And let me just close that by saying there are times when we are fatigued. And there are times when we need a vacation. There's times that we need a day off. There are times that we need to refresh ourselves bodily, in our soul, and in our spirit. But the answer is not to bellyache about it the whole time that we're needing to be refreshed. Because with all the belly aching that goes on, we just get more and more discouraged and more and more disgusted and more and more depressed and more and more fatigued. 
But we need to understand when we are fatigued that we need to do something about it. We need to figure out where we are. They said, look, our strength is breaking. Our strength for the burden is no, no more. We need to rest. The rebel, uh, the rubble is just simply too much. And the enemy said, and here's the reason that you need to stop broadcasting how tired and how exhausted and how fatigued you are because the enemy knows it. And when he knows that you're tired and he knows that you're fatigued and he knows that you're frustrated, he's going to come in for the kill at that moment and do everything he can to cause you to be defeated. How many of you ever watched this um, I don't even know what they call it, ultimate fighting now, WWF and all that kind of stuff where they put them in this cage and they, they've got their hands covered and all that kind of stuff, but they can not only box, but they can kick. Oh, I think I just pulled a muscle. I'm just kidding. They, they can do all those things, but here's something that I've noticed, that any time someone lands a blow that sends the other one to the mat, they don't stand back and pray for them and say, oh God, I hope they're okay. I hope they'll be all right. Come on, get back up. I didn't mean to hurt you. I didn't mean to knock you down. Sure they did. They're lying through whatever teeth they may have. What they do is they run over and they jump on top of them and the nice ones will hit them with the back of their hands like this. The mean ones will take the fist and just drive it in and drive it in and put, Pastor, why are you watching stuff like that? I had to have something as an illustration to preach with today. I'm only kidding. No, they take advantage of when, when their opponent is down. Don't you dare think that the devil won't do the same to you. He sees you posting on Facebook about how tired you are, how tired of this you are, how frustrated with that you are, talking about how fatigued you are, talking about how discouraged and depressed you are. Let me tell you, sometimes the devil doesn't even have to do anything about it because the people reading your Facebook post, they'll just take his place and come drive you deeper down into the ground. Fatigue. Let me give you a piece of advice and then I'll move on because some of you are tired and fatigued of hearing me talk about this thing. Somebody told me when I was young in the ministry, he made this statement. He said, never make a life altering decision when you are fatigued. Let me say that again. Never make a life altering decision when you are fatigued. I'm going to say this very, very gently. I'm going to do my best not to point anybody in a direction where they might be trying to figure out who I'm talking about. But I know pastors that made very bad decisions in a moment when they were fatigued. I know one pastor friend of mine that led a church. They were probably about our size and God blessed them and they began to grow they grow to 400 and then 500 and 600 and 700. And they felt like in order to expand our base and our ministries, we need to build a new building. They couldn't afford it. This was in another state. 
It was not in Kentucky. Look at your neighbor and say, Amen. They decided they needed to build this multi-million dollar site. And so they all agreed they didn't have the money for it. They knew they they couldn't pay for it very easily. And it was going to be a challenge of all challenges. But they went ahead anyway. And they got it built. And at the conclusion of it, the pastor was so fatigued and so tired that after they had built it and all the mortgage payments started coming due, trying to find a way to make enough fried pies and things of that nature to make the mortgage payment, that in that moment and season of fatigue, resigned the church and went somewhere else and left those people to build in that city and to try and pay that mortgage. And it just created a very negative situation. That man struggled for months and months, went to another church, didn't see any success is now in another church, and he's not seeing the success that he once did. I'm telling you that when we make decisions, when we are fatigued, we will often make the wrong decisions. I know two very good friends of mine who are about my age. I'm young. Look at your neighbor. Say, pastor is young. I'm only 60 years old. I've got a lot of life left to live. I've got a lot of energy to invest. I'm nowhere near done. Go ahead and and just put that in your memory bank as well. God God has uh, signally placed me among you to be able to work with you and see the good things that God has planned for this congregation in this city. I'm happy about that. But I have two friends that led churches to church sizes of about 1,000, one of them around 1,200 people. Same kind of situation. They just got tired. They just got worn out. They tried to do everything themselves instead of raising up disciples. Listen, I've told you this before. I'm going to tell you again. God did not call me to this church for me to do all the work. He called me to raise up disciples and to train you and equip you for the working of the ministry that he has for you. And together we will work and together we will raise up a ministry that is effective in this city and in this community because God has gifted every last one of us and enabled us with the power to accomplish what he's called us to do. But they got tired. They just got tired. You know what they needed? They needed a breakthrough. They needed a vacation. They needed to stop what they were doing so that they could get their mind wrapped around what it was that needed to happen to finish the job. So I'm saying to you that just like pastors can get tired and just like leaders can get tired, you can get tired too. And nobody is going to protect, your boss is not going to protect your time. Listen, they'll let you work as long as you want to work. If you want to work after hours, they'll let you work after hours. If you want to work on the weekends, they'll let you work on the weekends. 
Sometimes you have to do that in order to make ends meet. But let me tell you something. When you feel yourselves getting tired and fatigued and bored and discouraged and frustrated, you need to take a step back and rest your body and rest your soul and rest your spirit so that you can be energized for the important things of your life. Say amen. Never make a life-altering decision when you're fatigued. So now that we know that the battlefields are real, how do we close this thing out? Well, let me give you three defenses. Three of the best defenses that you can use. The first is faith-filled words. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 20, when they were falsely accusing Nehemiah and his team, when they were sneering and jeering at him, Here's how he responded. He said, I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Notice he did not say, you know, Mr. Sandballot, you're tough and you're wearing me out. You're wearing me down. I just don't know if we're going to be able to do this or not. I'm feeling bad. I'm feeling bad that you think I'd lie. I'm feeling bad that you would falsely accuse me. I'm feeling bad. I'm feeling bad. I'm feeling bad. Down in the dumps I'll never go. That's where the devil keeps me low. No, no, no. So I'll shout with all my might and I'll keep my armor bright. Cause down in the dumps I'll never go. Some of you need to sing that every day this week. When the devil comes after you and tries to discourage you, just say, oh, no, no, no. No pastor taught me a song this week that I'm going to sing down in the dumps. I'll never go. That's where you'd like to keep me low. But I'm going to raise my hands and I'm going to honor the Lord and I'm going to glorify his name. I'm not going down there in that pit with you, devil. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, I'm going to rejoice and be glad today. Some of you just need to start talking different. Some of you need to notify your face that you look like an old sourpuss. And you need to, you need to just turn the frown upside down and say, oh God, you didn't call me to look like that. You've called me to look happy. And you've called me not to look discouraged, but you've called me to look like I'm a, a, an overcomer and I'm victorious. You can't, nobody can make you do it. Listen, if you, if you want to be down and out, do it in the car when nobody else is with you. You're, you're driving down outer loop. Just take about two or three minutes and go. Just go ahead. Knock yourself out. But when you get out of that car where your testimony matters, pull yourself together 
and say, I don't know how I'm going to make it, but I'm trusting the one who's going to see me through. I will succeed because of who he is. Faith-filled words. Secondly, we need to understand. We need to get back to the old-fashioned thing, what the old-timers in the scripture called fervent prayer. Now, I'm not talking about now. Lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Amen. Lord, come out of that crack and bless this snack and go right back in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, we've taught ourselves to pray such weak, feeble, no good for nothing prayers. That it's no wonder that we can't overcome. I'm, tr- I'm being nice today. Everybody say, Pastor ain't mad. He's trying to help us today. Some of us just need to learn how to put some fervency in our prayer. Some of us need to turn the heat up just a little bit and say, devil, you thought I was praying before. I was just kidding around, but I'm done kidding around. I'm going to pray until I get through. I'm going to pray until I break through. I'm going to pray this thing through until the answer comes. Amen. I'm going to pray. How'd you get that? Nehemiah chapter four, verse nine. They were going to kill him. They were going to take his life. They were going to fight against him. And here's what he said. He said, we prayed to our God and we set a guard as a protection against them day and night. You know what they did? They prayed and then they obeyed. There's a pastor a few years ago, pastor of the largest church in the world at the time. His name was Paul Youngie Cho. I don't even know if he's still alive or not, but the church was founded in South Korea, had thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of, of members. And you've heard about the prayer mountain that they used to go to, and they would go into these little dig dugouts and, and little caves where they would go in and pray. And when they would begin to pray, the, the fervency of their prayers would get so loud and so strong that it could be heard for miles because they were praying with such fervency. They asked him one day, they said, how did this happen? And young Ito just looked at them and just very simply he said, I pray, I obey. That's all he said. They were wanting to know what are the systems that in place that brought about this, this church growth. You know, how did you do this? How, what, what, what was the importance of the role of the staff? What, what about this? What about that? Did you have an effective uh, discipleship program? Did you do this? How did you do this? What brought this growth around? His answer to everything was, I just pray and I obey. Let me tell you something, church. You may be facing things in your life and you're looking for some system or you're looking for something that will be the key. I want you to know that that thing that comes when it comes will only come as you have bombarded the throne room of God with your fervent prayers. There's power in fervent prayers. And then finally... I'm looking to see what time it is here. Sometimes, after we've prayed and we've obeyed, sometimes we just need a fresh vision. Nehemiah 4 and 14 said, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. I could preach right there all day long. 
I'm not going to do it, but some of you just need to remember the Lord. You remember what he has done. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And then fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. Fight for your homes. But don't you dare be afraid of the devil. Don't you dare be afraid of the enemy. Remember what the Lord has done. We used to sing years ago, look what the Lord has done. How many of you remember that? And look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me and it was just in time. Oh, I'm going to praise his name for each day just the same. Come on and praise him. Look what the Lord has done. Some of you just need to remember the Lord. Remember what he's done. Remember when he healed you. Remember when he brought your marriage back together. Remember when he saved your children. Remember what the Lord has done. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 1 says, now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Akafarim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm and I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down to you. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Listen, some of us are so easily distracted by the devil. We're so easily distracted by things that have no power over us whatsoever. Even death has no power over us. There's no power. Death, hell, and the grave where in the world is your sting? You can't get me. You can't hold me down. There ain't no grave going to hold this body down. Amen. When the Lord comes back and splits the eastern sky, I'm going to where he is. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Devil, you have no hold over me. I told myself I wasn't going to get excited today. I told myself I wasn't going to preach with a loud voice. I told myself a lot of things, but I get up here and I start thinking about all that the Lord has done, and I just can't control myself. He's good. He's good. He's good. Come help me, baby. This past week, we had a bad week at the daycare center. We just had one of those situations that we'd been putting off and putting off and putting off and we knew we were going to have to deal with. We are doing everything that we could to extend grace, doing everything that we could to let this, this family know you're not, you're not abiding by the regulations and you're going to have to do that because your actions are negatively impact every other child that attends this child care center. Prayed about it, talked about it, sought the Lord. Finally decided that there was nothing else that we could do but simply to ask them to leave the program. And the whole thing just blew up. 
And you talk about Facebook. <laughs> Facebook can get real fun sometimes. Get called things that you hadn't been called in a long time. It can be discouraging. Because the whole ministry that we're trying to do is trying to impact families for Jesus Christ. That's our whole motive. I was thankful that at least I wasn't on the property when it was all happening. Pastor John had to deal with every bit of it. I got with him later and we sat down and we talked about it and I said, listen, son. See, you're a lot younger than I am in ministry. I'm going to tell you that over the years as you serve the Lord, there are going to be many, many instances like this. I've had people call me things that I didn't even know what it was they were calling me. Some of the things I knew what they were talking about. I just accepted it. I didn't fight back. I didn't argue back. I just let grace rule in the situation. It doesn't mean that it's easier when you've been married to someone and they look at you one day and say, you know, I've had enough of you. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. I love this one. I don't love you anymore. That hurts. That goes all the way to the core. There's there's nothing that could hurt any worse than a child that you're trying to raise on your own and trying to give them wonderful opportunities and they look at you one day and say, you're so mean. You're the meanest mom in the world. You're the meanest dad in the world. You have to take it. You have to stand there and you let it, you have to let it all develop. And then with the help of the Lord, you process those situations. you try one thing and it doesn't work and you try another thing and it doesn't work you you read an article from Dear Abby some of you don't even know who that is and is she dead now okay her sister's dead too oh god what are we going to do for advice try and you try and you try but your tool is not working and so you just give up can I tell you that it's in a moment like that the most important thing that you can do is to revisit your purpose in life I told Jonathan that I said Jonathan I know how bad you're hurting He's such a soft soul. 
He really is. He's, he's what the old timers used to call gentle giant. He's a big boy. I remember telling a little boy one time that was trying to mess with him, I said, you really need to walk away. I said, because if Jonathan loses it and hits you, you're not going to like it. I wasn't threatening him. I was trying to save his life. Jonathan's a big boy, grown man, but he has such a soft heart. And when somebody says something to him that is as hurtful as what was said to him this way, it'd be easy to take that on. And I told him this. I said, son, I said, you have to process that emotionally. But you can never forget what your mission, what our vision, and what our purpose for existence is all about. We can't change our mission every time someone disagrees with it. We cannot change our vision every time that somebody thinks that they're like Ford and they have a better idea. We can't. So what we have to do is find a way to reconnect with that vision that God gave us and hold on to it and recognize that if we will stay faithful to the call and faithful to our marriage and faithful to our children and faithful to the Word of God and faithful when it doesn't feel like being faithful. Just be faithful and refuse to give up and look the devil in the eyes and say, I will be faithful. And though I may not, and it may not feel like that I'm winning right now. Oh, just remember, I have the answer to you. His name is Jesus Christ. And I can come against you and break through in the name of Jesus when I use the right tool. The devil comes and he says, well, aren't you big? Look at you and your blessed bloomers. You won a battle, but you won't win this time because I'm coming back again. And you just say, you just keep on coming because the same tool that I used before will work again. And if it won't, this book is full of tools that will take you down no matter what you throw my way. So come on, big boy. I've got what it takes to overcome you. In Jesus' name, I'm praying for breakthrough. Will you stand with me this morning? Lift your hands. Give praise to the Lord.